and Exodus, by the way, if you're curious. I find those things interesting. We're you know, getting close to half a year here. Um, but what we've been seeing is that we are to learn from Israel how to walk with God in the wilderness of this life on the way to God's promised land. As we've already started to see with Israel, the wilderness is a perilous place. I mean, they have not been gone from Egypt very long, yet they have already grown very weary. They have already, uh, you know, been, been trying to find food and water. But as we'll see today, it's not just tumbleweeds and cacti in the wilderness. It's not just the lack of provision that will be their problem. There are also active malicious enemies out in that wilderness and they want to stop Israel from making it to the promised land. And the same is true for us. Our difficulties in this life and our time in the wilderness on the way to our promised land will be more than flat tires and leaky roofs. We too have enemies that are actively trying to stop us from, from pursuing God, finding our joy in him, trusting him, obeying him, serving him. And so we need to live a certain way. I want to show you this because we say, well, do I need to buy a gun? I didn't know we had enemies, you know. Well, it's a little different than, than that type of enemy. We see uh, <clears throat> first Satan, First Peter 5, 8 says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I mean, that's an active, malicious enemy against your soul. But Satan isn't even our worst enemy. First <clears throat> Peter 2.11, Peter talks of the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. That is our sinful flesh. Though we have trusted in Christ and our hearts have been made new, we receive new desires, new values. We still have this old man, this old sinful flesh that wages war against our new godly man, our new uh, being. I use the word man for everyone, by the way. Our new godly human, I don't know, spirit, soul. Thank you, Dave, for the chuckle. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with that. All right. So Satan and our flesh, active agents, active enemies against our souls. This is a big problem on our way to the promised land. So it is a good thing that we get to learn from God's word today, that we get to learn from Israel today how we should respond to these enemies Let's read about it together in Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. So start there at verse 8. It says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. When Moses, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands 
one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under the sun. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. That is God's word. Let's pray together. Father God, we like Israel are in a fight for our lives, for our, our very souls. And God, we need to know how to respond. So Lord, would you by your word and by your spirit, teach us what we must do with these enemies, with Satan and our sinful flesh and even this world that tempts us, that tries to draw us away from you, oh God. This is the most important battle. And so we ask you to teach us what it looks like, to teach us what to do. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We've seen now the very first time Israel has been attacked since they got away from the Egyptians. So the Egyptians, you know, did pursue them after they were freed, but they've been traveling around in the wilderness and now Amalek, it says, has come up and fought with Israel at Rephidim. Now, uh, elsewhere in the Bible, in Deuteronomy, uh, Moses actually recounts how Amalek came and what he was doing is he was picking off the stragglers. That's what, he was attacking the, the rear of Israel as they traveled along. And um, so he's just kind of wearing them down. And, uh, but but so, so Moses sees this. It's not that, that Amalek actually came and said, all right, it's you versus us. One of us is walking away from here. What he was doing was slowly but surely attacking Israel, attacking Israel, attacking Israel. And it's really a, a pretty smart way of attacking, uh, quite honestly, if you have this big nation uh, before you, uh, to rather than go for the whole nation at once, to, to pick them off slowly. And so now Moses has, you know, some options before him. What should I do now that there's this uh, enemy attacking us? Should I, you know, bury my head in the sand? They're in the wilderness, there's sand. Should I bury my head in the sand and just, you know, hope things uh, go okay? Do, do I just keep walking? Do I just keep, you know, we'll just stay busy. We'll keep traveling and hope that Amalek leaves us alone and that we'll be okay. Or they can fight. They can stand up and they can fight against this enemy that is trying to prevent them from making it to the promised land. And so this is the first lesson that we learn from Moses and from Israel uh, in this chapter today. Number one, we must fight. We must fight. We see that again in the first two verses, uh, verses eight and nine. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at, at Rephidim. Again, that's, he's, he's picking them off. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Moses, as God's chosen leader of Israel, 
has recognized that this enemy is not going away, that burying his head in the sand will not fix this, that just continuing on their journey will not make Amalek go away. If they do not fight, they will die. Moses recognizes that. And so he tells Joshua, the commander of of, of his armies, he's kind of making him the commander of his army. This is the first time, by the way, Joshua is mentioned um, in the book of Exodus. And so he says, Joshua, choose men for us and go out and fight with Amalek. He recognizes that this is a, a life or death situation, though it may be slow and steady, just picking us off. If we don't stand up and fight, he will overwhelm us. And so this is what Moses does. He fights. And you know, I mentioned those alternative options that Moses could do because we have to make the same decision as well. We have Satan and and he's not, you know, taking us out in one foul swoop. He's picking at you day by day by day. We have our sinful flesh that says, don't trust in God. Don't find your satisfaction in God. Find your satisfaction in yourself. Find your satisfaction in the things of this world. Find your satisfaction in sin. That's what our flesh is trying to do. And it's not one big victory. It's just little picking at us, picking at us, picking at us. But if we do not fight, we will die. Romans eight thirteen says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And so it is, we can't just bury our heads in the sand and say, okay, I'm just not gonna think about the sins in my life. We can't say, you know what, I'll just make myself very busy with with work and family and hobbies and activities and I'll just hope these things leave me alone because they will not. These enemies will not leave you alone. They are going for the mortal death of your soul and, and unless we stand up and fight, We have no hope. We see this uh, in several places, but I see again in the New Testament, James 4, 7, he says, resist the devil. This is is something we actively do. We actively resist Satan and the lies and deceit he throws at us. Against our sinful flesh, Paul says in Colossians 3, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. That's uh, this flesh, this old man, What is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. I mean, that's just one of many, many examples. Again, I already kind of mentioned uh, Romans 8, 13. If you don't put your flesh to death, you will die. Paul says elsewhere that we must crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. We must work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And you say, okay, Paul is probably just a little extreme. You know, he's been through a lot. And so he just thinks that like, this is a really big deal that we have to fight against our sin with such aggression, being so intentional about it. But listen to how Jesus talks about this. Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30, he says, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body 
go into hell. Jesus does not actually want you to gouge out your eye or cut off your hand, by the way. This is called hyperbole. You're supposed to know that it is an exaggeration to make a point. And we know it's an exaggeration to make a point because I can still sin with one eye and one hand. I can still do any sin that I can think of with one eye and one hand. So it actually wouldn't accomplish anything. What Jesus is saying, the point that he is making, is that we need to take aggressive, intentional action against our sin or we will go into hell. Is it not better to lose your eye? Is it not better to lose your hand than to be cast with your whole body into hell? We must take aggressive action against our enemies, Satan and our sinful flesh. If you are not making war, either your soul is slowly dying or you are on the wrong team and there's no fight to be had. But if we have trusted in Christ, if we've been made new, if we uh, have Christ within us, we must fight for our lives. So that's it, right? We just fight against our enemies and that alone will give us the victory. Well, no, that is not what we see here uh, in Exodus chapter 17. In fact, if you depend on yourself, your own power and, and, and your power alone, the only sure thing is that you will lose that fight. The more you try to fight by your own strength, you will only find how strong sin is and how weak you are. So there is, there has to be another way. And this is the next thing that we learn from this passage. Number two, it's very simple. You, you, I hope you've seen it in the text already, but we must depend on God. That is point two, we must depend on God. Yes, you absolutely must fight the enemies of your soul or you will die, but to have any hope of victory, you must depend on God, His promises, His provision, His power, or you still will lose these battles and ultimately the war. I mean, this, is, this should be nothing new to, to our minds. Remember Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of true value. Not apart from me, you can do a little bit. Not apart from me, you can do part of it. Apart from me, you can do nothing of true spiritual value, Jesus said. And I think about this even. If we, we fight by our, by our own power, our own self-assurance, our own abilities and wisdom, actually all we've done in that moment is become like the Pharisees, right? They, 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 they put on this outward righteousness by their own strength while inwardly they were full of rotting bones. Why? Because they were doing it by their own strength, trying to look good and conform to God's law by their own strength. But Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing of true value. Je uh, Jesus, Paul called that type of righteousness, our own power, our own strength, rubbish in Philippians. So, Looking back at Exodus chapter 17, we might ask the question, what made Moses willing to fight against Amalek and what gave him the victory? Remember, 
Israel is not at this time some impressive army. They will become that later in their history, but they are people who have just walked out of slavery. They haven't been fighting battles. They haven't been preparing for war. They've been building bricks. I mean, that's the type of thing they've been doing. And so what would make Moses say, I think we should turn and fight Amalek. I I know that he's got a a trained army and stuff, but yeah, I'm going to take this ragtag group of slaves and we're going to fight and we're going to win. What would make Moses say that? And how did he ultimately gain the victory? I see this in three actions, three movements. I'll, I'll list those to you now, then we'll, we'll take them one by one. First, Moses knew and trusted God's word. Second, Mo, Moses intentionally depended on and called upon the power of God. And third, Moses put himself in a community that would strengthen him. So this, this is what I see was, was key to Moses going to battle when he needed to and key to victory. So let's take those one by one. First, Moses knew and trusted God's word. When I say God's word, I'm not actually talking about the physical Bible. Moses didn't have, you know, the, the physical Bible to be reading, but God had spoken things to Moses And while you don't see this in our text, in Exodus 17, it is the clear background and context for what he does. Uh, Look at what um, God says to Moses in in Exodus chapter 6. So just, you know, 10 chapters ago, 11 chapters ago, God said this, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you to slavery from them. Trying to remember, I, I made it shorter on yours. Yeah, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So, so notice in Exodus chapter six, God promised two things. Right? I will bring you out of Israel, and I will br- take you to the promised land and give you possession of it. So, at this point in Exodus chapter seventeen. The first promise has been fulfilled, right? God has redeemed them from Egypt. He has brought them out of Egypt. And so Moses has learned to trust the promises of God. God has shown himself to be faithful in the past with salvation. And so now Moses believes that second promise. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give you possession. I am the Lord. Moses believes, well, God's going to take us all the way to the promised land and he's going to give us possession of it. So we honestly can't lose. We can't be overwhelmed by Amalek here. And so he has the boldness to stand up and fight, not because of his own strength, but because he knows God has made promises that he will certainly fulfill. And I see this, by the way, in our own lives as well, that just as God made promises to Moses And Moses trusted he would keep them. God has made promises to us and we can trust that he will keep them. God has already for us given us his son. Romans 8, 32. God has already given his son like he promised, given us salvation. Will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
Philippians 4, <clears throat> excuse me, Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You alone will be defeated by Satan and by your sinful flesh. But in God, he has promised that he will give you everything you need, physical, spiritual, whatever resources God has promised, he will supply those needs. And speaking directly of temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, God is faithful, right? He's made promises, he's faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. That's not an observation. That is a promise. That's not saying there will be a way of escape. There's always a way of escape. It's saying, no, God will provide a way of escape anytime a temptation comes into your body in order that you may be able to endure. Those are promises God has given. What that means is you can fight. You can fight Satan. You can fight your sinful flesh. The battle is not lost because God has made promises and he will surely keep them. You alone, helpless. With God, there, there's all sorts of hope. There's nothing but hope because he is powerful, he is faithful, and he has made promises. But the second thing we see here with Moses is not just that he you know, knows about the promises of God. Second, Moses intentionally depended and called upon the power of God. We see that in the second half of verse 9 there. I have it on the screen. Moses says, Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Moses is going to go up on a hill while Joshua takes uh, Israel to fight Amalek. And he says, I will go with the staff of God in my hand. And now Moses does not mention this staff just because the hill is so steep and he's going to need its help to get up it. This is the staff of God. Just you, you think back through the book of Exodus, I don't want to get too bogged down here, but Moses recognized that this staff uh, was, was the symbol of God's power, of reliance on God's power. This is the same staff that God had Moses use to unleash many of the plagues upon Egypt. Raise your staff over the Red Sea. I mean, just so on and so forth. This, this happened over and over again. This is the same staff that God commanded Moses to raise over the, the Red Sea. I might have said over the Red Sea, over the Nile earlier for the plague. Anyways, this is the same staff God has Moses raise over the Red Sea. Then a wind blows all night long and, and the sea parts. This is the same rod that has the, the, the uh, Red Sea close on the Egyptians. This is the symbol of God's power, of relying on God's power. This is showing the power is not from Moses, but from God. This is the staff of God. And so Moses goes up on that hill and he doesn't just go up himself, his power, his strength, his wisdom. He goes up with the staff of God. And as we see further in, he takes that staff in his hands and raises his hands to show reliance, intentional de dependence on God. But in the same way, friends, if we want to have any hope of victory over our enemies, we must intentionally depend on God. I, I see Romans 8.13, we, we talked about it uh, a moment ago. It says this, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. 
But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is actively using the power of the Holy Spirit to put the death the deeds of the body. You say, well, how do I do that? I don't get it. I don't have a staff like Moses did. You know, um, well, the Bible tells us in, in many places, but one, one of the most clear places is Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. And I kind of skip around a little bit uh, and give you the highlights here, but this is what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That, that's depending on God, right? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Obviously, we don't have time to go through each piece of armor there, but there is the armor of God that we are to take up. And if I were to just boil those down in the most simple of terms, I would say we have God's word with God's promises and we believe those promises and we bathe it all with prayer. We bathe it all with prayer and we go out there and we wield the word of God, meaning we, that is our, our weapon of offense that, that we take the words of God just as Jesus did in the wilderness for 40 days. So you take the word of God and you beat down the temptations and the deceit of Satan and our flesh. And then you take up the shield of faith when Satan says, well, you're just not good enough. You say, I don't care because Jesus is. It, just all these things. This is what it looks like to fight, to put to death the deeds of the body by the spirit. This is what it means to put on the whole armor of God. And we must do this because we cannot fight on our own. I, I, I hesitate to say things like this because then no one will come to me for counseling. But I have counseled many, many Christians who they come to me and they say, Jeff, this sin is just dominating my life and it's messing up my relationships. What, what, what can I do to get rid of this sin? And what they're asking for is, is a silver bullet, you know, a quick fix uh, to, to take the sin away and make their relationships good again or whatever it is, their work or whatever it's, it's uh, affecting. But I always ask the same questions. I say, are you reading and meditating on God's word? Is that a regular part of, of each day, reading and meditating on God's word? Are you spending intentional time in prayer to God than continuing in, in little prayers throughout the day. I say, are you trusting in and, and applying the promises of God in your life? And I don't know if I've ever had anyone say anything different, but generally I hear something to the effect of, probably not as much as I should. I, I could do better, something like that, which is basically church code for no, not really. I'm not doing those things, hardly ever, if at all. It is. This is just what it is. Because uh, you can then dig deeper and say, well, how often do you? You know, anyways, all that to say, when, when they tell me that, no, not really, not as much as I should, I say, I know exactly what your problem is. You're not putting on, I don't say this necessarily, but 
You're not depending on God. You're not taking the resources, the, the, the weapons, the armor that God has provided you, that God has commanded you to put on. You're, you're leaving it sitting there, then you're going out to battle every day. Of course you're losing against sin. Of course it's messing up your work and your relationships and your finances. Of course. This is not surprising. This is God's word. This is what it says will happen. That if we try to fight alone, we will lose every time. We must take up the whole armor of God. We must spend time in God's word, looking for his truth, looking for his promises. We must spend time in prayer to God, begging God to help us, to forgive us, and to give us strength for the future. And then we, we go out and fight trusting in God's promises, applying God's promises as temptation comes and as deceit comes. That is how we fight by the Spirit. And then we give God glory when we win the victory. We, we say, God, you help me do that. I couldn't have won that, that temptation on my own. You did this. Friends, there is no silver bullet against sin, but there is the whole armor of God. And you can take that on. It will take more time. It will take more work, but it will actually work. And that's what matters, isn't it? That we will actually have our souls protected, that we will actually make progress on our way to the promised land. Now, there is one more thing. So we, we've seen uh, that, that he, believed, he knew and believed um, God's word. He uh, depended and called upon the power of God. But there's one more thing Moses did that was very wise. Moses surrounded himself that, with people that would strengthen him. Uh, again, we see this in verses 10 through 13. It says, So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So Moses didn't go alone. Verse 11. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. By the way, hand which had the staff in it. That's what he said in verse 9. Uh, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So Moses, at this point, he's rightly engaged in the fight. And he, he's not depending on his own power. He's depending on God. He's believing God's promises. He's taking the staff of God up there. But the, the war, the battle is lengthy. It's lasting through the day. And Moses' hands that are holding up the staff grow tired. The, the, the long nature of the battle is wearing him down. And so the only reason he is able to make it, the only reason Israel is able to have the victory is why? Because he did not go up that hill alone. Aaron and Hur came up with him. And, and, and Aaron and Hur see what's happening to Moses. They see that he's being wearied by this battle, by holding up his hands. And so without any command or request from Moses that we see, they move into action. It says they put a stone under him so he could sit down. Then one gets on each side of him and they help him hold up the staff of God. And this is what it says. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek. 
I mean, this is a beautiful picture of exactly what we need. Because I don't know about you, but I get tired in the battle of this life. Fighting against my sin, my temptations, fighting for obedience, fighting for faith, fighting for satisfaction in God, I get tired. The battle is long. The battles don't stop coming. And so what we need, what God has given us is each other. That when we are weary, that we are, you know, armed with with the, the armor of God, though we are weary, we, we need people to hold us up. This is what we need. God did not create any of us to fight alone. He didn't. And, and so we, 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 don't, we can't fight alone. We can't win on our own. We need God. And one of the things God gives us is each other. And so Moses surrounded himself with people that would strengthen him. And we got to do the same thing. We got to do the same thing. We got to surround ourselves with people who know God's word, who love God's word, who are willing to speak into our lives, who are willing to fight with us, to, to hold us up, to strengthen us. We need this or, or, or we'll lose a lot of battles along the way. Think about if, if Mo, uh, Aaron and her had not held up his hands. I mean, I, I don't know how it would have gone. The Bible doesn't say exactly what would have happened, but I don't think it would have been good. We need one another. We need to surround ourselves, let people in. But there is one final main lesson we need to learn from this passage. Israel has just won an amazing victory. Uh, verse 13 there said, um, Joshua overwhelmed Amalek. That's awesome. Joshua overwhelmed Amalek. So this great victory. But there's something that they really needed to know here. And we need to know as well. Number three, we must never stop looking to God. Just because we win a battle over here by God's power doesn't mean we can then walk away and fight on our own in the next battle. That, that's foolishness. But, but look at what we see here in Exodus uh, 17 verses 14 through 16. Then, after they, they won the war, then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the, mem the memory of Amalek from under heaven. So there are going to be future wars, by the way. God, future tense is going to blot out the memory of Amalek. Verse 15, and Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying, a hand upon the throne of the Lord, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So again, he, Moses recognizes that, that there's going to be future battles for Israel. But look at what he names this altar. The Lord is my banner. Moses is using this word banner, you know, to, to, to mean a sign, an emblem, a, a permanent reminder it's as though this altar was, was on that hill or wherever he built it as a continual reminder to Israel, there will be future wars. Do not stop looking to God. He's the only reason you won this last one. He's the only reason you won against Amalek. And he is the only reason, the only way you will win in the future. You will not find victory apart from God. The Lord is my banner. You, you look to him. For strength, You depend on him for strength and you do not stop no matter how many victories you've won. That, that's the purpose of this altar. Israel, 
We won, but we only won by God's strength. We better not leave here and go and try to fight on our own power. It's interesting. There, there are some people who feel that they are most spiritually mature when they don't need to depend on God. And I would just want to tell you, that is actually the most sure mark of spiritual immaturity that you feel you don't have to depend on God because God did not create us to ever stop depending on Him. I don't care if you're nine years old or 90 years old. I don't care if you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years. We better never stop depending on God. When we believe we are most strong, we are actually most weak and vulnerable. Satan is going to get a foothold. Your flesh is going to have provision there. And you are going to fall headlong into sin. It is only a matter of time. It doesn't matter how long you've been doing it. We still need to look to God. We still need to depend on God. We still need to feast on his word. We still need to talk to him in prayer, beg him in prayer. We still need to apply his promises in order to win the victory. We will never get to a point this side of the promised land that we will not need his power continually to fight against sin. And so I encourage you, friends, fight. If you are not fighting, you are already losing. Fight, but do not fight on your own power. Fight by the power God supplies. Be strong in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Get into his word. Talk to him in prayer. This has got to be a regular thing. It's the armor's right there. And surround yourself with people who can hold you up when the battle rages on. Let's go to God in prayer now. Father God, thank you so much for teaching us this great lesson. I I needed to hear this today. I needed to be reminded that I'm in a battle. That if I'm not fighting, things are not going well. Maybe Satan is is covering my eyes of of the battle that's going on, but it's there. And my enemies are are, are raging. The lion is prowling. My flesh is, is seeking to destroy me. So God, thank you for this reminder that I must intentionally fight. But thank you for also reminding us that we cannot win the fight on our own. We cannot win the fight against sin. We cannot fight, win the fight against greed and lust and envy and anger. We cannot win the fight against fear, against being unwilling to do what you've called us to do or keep from what you've told us not to do. We cannot win. But God, you have given us the armor. You have given us your Holy Spirit by which we can win the war, by which our faith can be encouraged and increased, by which we can find a greater satisfaction in you than in sin, oh God. Thank you for providing this armor. And help us, God, to daily put it on. To daily look to you, your word, your promises, and to go to you in prayer. And then, God, we want to give you all the glory and all the praise when we win the victory so that we'll remember who had the victory and who we need to come back to next time. God, do this work in our lives, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.